Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 219 of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to zoom through all of the first-round series. Uh, we're about halfway through. It's been a wild first week of the playoffs, so we're going to dive deep into a couple of the ones that are the most competitive, most notably Portland OKC, Philly Brooklyn, Denver San Antonio, and then we'll uh, briefly touch on the rest as well. A reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter, at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Uh, I'm doing well, Brian. Uh, just just before we get started, I just um, want to send some thoughts out to, to Sri Lanka after the horrible... Uh, bombing attacks that happened here on Sunday. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, prayers up for everyone there affected by it and hope uh, hope we don't have any more bad news coming out today. Yeah, that, that would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Mort, let's start with Portland OKC because that game, mm-hmm. we're recording this uh, very early Sunday morning, my time. Uh, so Portland OKC is playing. They are the nightcap tonight. They are the only game worth watching today, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the other the other three series are a little less competitive. So Portland went up 2-0, defended home court. They were like one of the only teams to actually successfully defend home court. OKC came back in Game Three. Uh, as bad as Russell Westbrook was in Game Two, he was that good in Game Three. I I don't want to read too much into the three point shooting. He was four of six from three. One of them was like a just total shot clock winding down off balance (laughs) heat check at the end of the game so like i don't think okc fans should read too much into the three-point shooting but what i was most encouraged by seeing him was his decision making was just more sound like he seemed like he was trying to attack the basket more than he did in game two when he was settling a lot and taking these like horrendous pull-up jumpers in transition or like pull-up threes and like that was just feeding right into Portland what they wanted from him. If you watched the three-point attempts, they didn't contest them all that much. Like, they were kind of sagging off of him and, like, keeping their arms wide because they just know if he gets to the rim, Cantor's toast. So they're like, all right, yeah, if you want if you want to take a 25-footer, mister, you shot 29% from three-point range, be our guest. So, yep. Good game from Russ. Uh, what did you see out of out of Game Three? Yeah, I mean, I gotta give credit for for OKC for just stepping up. But 
I do have a complaint about Game 3. Um, so, you know I'm not one to talk about refs much. Mm-hmm. Like, I barely broached the subject on this pod. Usually I think they're fine. Mm-hmm. But that that game was just so inconsistently called. I'm not even going to argue that there weren't phantom calls. Like, Portland got called for a lot of moving screens, mm-hmm. and they were all accurate. Like, those were sort of perfectly accurate calls. But on the other end, like, OKC, especially Steven Adams and Erlens Noel, got away with a lot of many moving screens as well, a lot of reach ins, like contact plays with no calls. And I don't mind a tight whistle necessarily, just keep it consistent. Yeah. And I don't think that game was consistent at all in terms of how it was being called. Um, and I'm almost surprised that the Portland Trailblazers just didn't pull a DeMar DeRozan just <laughs> threw a chuck the ball at the refereeing uh, uh, team. Uh, I, I'm not saying here. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that you know the refs gifted the game to OKC. Clearly, yeah. that's not the case. Um, like you touched on, Russell came out hot. Paul George was effective. You know. Maybe not efficient, but effective. Dennis Schroeder was making mid-range jump shots. The defense, uh, collective defense at least, was just on point all the way through. So there isn't really uh, anything to point at in terms of OKC not deserving that victory. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's one of those things that frustrates me a little bit. Like, call a game consistently regardless of what you do. That's reasonable. It didn't stand out to me, like, while I was watching it, but that wasn't also, like what I was I was mostly like focused on which Russ is showing up tonight and then Mm. also when Jeremy Grant I mean he was what I think like 0 of 8 from three-point range over the first two games and the Thunder team in general as we mentioned last episode had just shot terribly from three so yeah like 15 percent or something (laughs) yeah so I was I was really keeping an eye on those two things but I mean like they're if you just look at it there was 33 calls against Portland only 24 against OKC OKC had 39 free throw attempts. Portland had 24. So as much as OKC's three-point shooting regressing regressing to the mean uh, helped them take that game, you're right. I mean, there, there was definitely a clear discrepancy in terms of fouls called versus one team or the other or free throws taken. So something... Right, and OKC is physical, you know? Yeah. So that's just... That, that's a little bit... that It just came off really poorly. And... Again, I don't think any of this is intentional. I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists that's sitting there going, "Oh, the NBA wants a game, you know, game five or whatever." Right. Like that's that's dumb. Yeah, that's not the case. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have helped Utah. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was just a poorly executed way of, of of officiating that game, which is what it is. Credit to Russ for being hot. Um, absolutely turned the tide. But can we just talk about the third? quarter for Damian Lillard yeah man wild I mean because he didn't I think he, he had like five <coughs> points going in there, or three points going into that quarter uh four four okay yeah like he had done nothing in the first half okay so he had played him really yeah. well and then it was just like Mount Dame exploded 25 in the third yeah I mean and the way he went about it and that's that's the Dame experience that's why I'm so high on him he did it by getting to the free throw line. He did it by just knocking down pull-up threes. He got it by driving to the cup and making acrobatic layups. Yep. Like, he just... And the ball was on a string. Yeah. He he is so dominating that after the loss, I was kind of... <laughs> this is so unfair to Dave. I was kind of disappointed in him. Like, <laughs> you had 25 in the third. 
if you had had one of those 45, 47 point games that you are very much capable of, you'd be up 3 0. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not sitting here ragging on him necessarily because it is very difficult to score 25 points, let alone like 45, 47 points in an NBA playoff game. But he has that capability. And I think he may be realizing that in order to get out of this series early, the next two games, he'll have to do something similarly. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Cantor got it going offensively in the fourth quarter, but then OKC on the other end was going at him every single time. It was just mm. trading a score for a score. So, like, he had... Cantor had finished with 19 points, but he also finished as a minus 13 because, like, that was very clearly OKC's plan of attack, was which it should be. Like, that, that was supposed to be the difference when Yusuf Nurkic went down. Like, they couldn't do that strategy against Yusuf Nurkic, but against NS Cantor... He is not, he's never been a good defender. So you should absolutely go right after him. That's why it's infuriating when Russ pulls up for all these jumpers because he can't defend you if you go to the basket. Like, you, he might draw a charge or two, but more often than not, you're going to score on him or you're going to draw a foul. So, like, that's the correct strategy moving forward. Yeah. I also want to just shout out Jeremy Grant for, I mean, like, this is what, OKC needs like OKC and Portland are somewhat similar in the sense that they have two star scorers like both teams have two star scorers Damon CJ Paul George and Russell Westbrook I know Paul George he had 22 points but he only shot three of 16 like that shoulder it just isn't right it's very yeah. clear and it sucks because he was re- I mean you know for the first half of the season if not more up until the all-star break it was like Giannis and Harden were one and two in the MVP race and George was number three with a bullet. And then, you know, the shoulder has kind of been bothering him for the last couple months. Uh, but so they need one other guy, at least, to like really step up and be that complimentary scorer. And in game three, they got it from Jeremy and they got it from Dennis Schroeder. And I think that was a huge difference in the series. Like you, you just need one other source of offense that you can depend on. And whichever team gets that, more likely or not, is going to win the game. So, uh, what do you think happens in Game Four now? Because this is it's in OKC again. Yep. If they if OKC wins and defends home court, you're going back. You, neither team has stolen home court, but you're going back to Portland Game Five, tied two two. Mm-hmm. Pressure's all on Portland because then you're heading back to if OKC wins, you're heading back up three two back to OKC. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is going to go seven. It mm-hmm. seems that way. It's it's kind of brewing around a little bit. Mm-hmm. It all depends on on tonight, really. If if Dame and CJ come out firing like they did in Game Two, but they continuously assert themselves throughout the course of the game instead of picking their spots, like like Dame's first quarter and you know CJ's first half, you know it's then the, it could change the game. Mm-hmm. I still think great offense beats great defense every single day of the week. Yeah, but they will have to. Like you also alluded to, having that third score. Like Ennis Kander will have to be on. Seth Curry should get more minutes because he's been fire this, yeah. this series. Like <clears throat> 55% from the field, 71% from downtown. Perfect from the line. He's, he's been gunning, but he's only getting 16 and a half minutes. So I would just prioritize a lot of offensive volume from Portland in, in game four and hope that's enough. And then turn back the series to Portland for game five where they hopefully close it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, I'm selfishly hoping this one... I hope 
OKC wins because I think this series has just been fun. I want more. It has. Like, Dame, yeah. and, Dame and Russ going at each other, it, if not for the next rivalry we'll talk about, this would be the most fun rivalry of the first round. I mean, th- this has been as great as advertised, if not better. Yeah. I think part of why it's so interesting as well is the whole, you know, Russ-Dame dynamic because you have this guy who is in Dame who is just one of the most efficient and effective high-scoring point guards in the league. Right. And then you have Russ who could be that but is, you know, like you, you alluded to this, I think, in the last episode or the episode prior. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the ceiling of Russ can be higher at yeah. least theoretically, like he has these games where he's just out of this world. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really about what kind of Russ is showing up. Right. And uh, to me, I think the most consistent player of the two will win out. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's where I stand yeah. on this series, really, because that's where it comes out. And it's no secret uh, that I think Dame is better. Mm-hmm. And I also think that the Blazers, you know, I think they would be more intriguing to, to actually be the one team to advance. I think they could actually put a fright into other teams. Yeah. I agree with that. So, yeah. I will say before we move on, the Thunder are badly missing Andre Roberson in this series. Yes. That, that would, I think that would have swung wildly in OKC's direction if that guy was healthy because they just, they need one more guy, one more like defensive stalwart. And like Terrence mm-hmm. Ferguson just isn't giving them enough on offense to justify. I mean, they have no. They don't really have a good choice to put in the starting lineup aside from him. But if right. you had Roberson in there and he was just shutting down either Dame or CJ or at least making them work much harder than Ferguson is, it would have been would have been interesting. But we'll have to wait until next year for that. One one final note on this series, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think this is absolutely hilarious. So Raymond Felton has played 40 minutes this series uh-huh. over three games. He has one point on <laughs> 0 of 7 shooting. Oof. So you effectively have a guy who plays well over a quarter a game, providing nothing. And then on the other end, <laughs> Evan Turner has played 35 minutes this year. He has two points. Good. Uh, it's 1 of 7. So they kind of cancel each other out. But yeah, like, that, that, that right there could be a key, right? Like yeah. just one of those guys right. come in and gives you know their team that one quarter of play, but does so efficiently and actually hits shots. Yeah, yeah, that could turn a game. You're totally right. Like that's what the playoffs are all about. There's always one one game in a series where like some random dude either hits a big shot or like has a big quarter. Like someone needs to step up. Yeah, and it probably should be the eighteen point six million dollar man. <laughs> right, right. One would hope. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. 
Well, since I mentioned rivalries with Damon Russ, and I said there was one better, let's go to Philly-Brooklyn, which has been testy over the last few games. Um, you know, starting with <laughs> yeah. Joel Embiid delivers the elbow to the face to Jared Allen in Game 2. He and Ben Simmons laugh, laugh about it at the press conference afterward. Uh, the Nets did not take kindly to that, heading into Game 3. Also heading into Game 3, Jared Dudley comes out, and... What he says is accurate. All he says is, I think Ben Simmons is a great player in transition. Once you slow up in the half court, I think he's average when it comes to that. It's just the, the correct scouting report on Ben Simmons. It is. Like, it is. I, yeah. but, but Ben Simmons is just, you know, he, he, they add the reporters, the Philly reporters, ask him about it, and they're like, what are your thoughts? He's like, he's Jared Dudley. That's all he says. <laughs> so then Embiid misses game three. Simmons is a monster. He's the best player on the floor. I'd yep. say in games two and three, he was the best player on the floor. He had a triple-double, like 18 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds in game two. Uh, game three, 31 points, nine assists, four rebounds, three blocks, two steals. Because uh, Embiid missed game three. Embiid comes back for game four. He was listed as doubtful, and I feel like Philly should probably get fined for this, right? Because this is now the second time they listed him as doubtful, and then he actually played which I thought was like not supposed to happen, but uh, that's beside the point. So Embiid delivers another hard foul to Jared Allen uh, early in the second half. Jared Dudley runs from freaking half court to <laughs> shove Joel Embiid, like deliver an elbow in the back to Joel Embiid. Jimmy Butler does not take kindly of that. Jimmy Butler then elbows uh, Jared Dudley. And then the whole thing... Like, a ref gets involved, Ben Simmons gets involved, D'Angelo Russell kind of pushes the whole pile into the crowd. It's a mess. Uh, Embiid gets hit with a flagrant one. Dudley and Butler both get ejected. But the Sixers end up stealing the game on the road. Mike Scott hits a big three at the end of the game. The Sixers also definitely mugged Jared Allen on that last possession. Didn't get called. Mm-hmm. Tobias Harris gets the rebound, hits some free throws. They So Philly's up 3-1. But this is like... <laughs> I would say... This is the most um, testy of all of the first round series, just because these two teams like it's fun. Like th- these teams are building a rivalry right in front of our very eyes. Like yeah. this, this thing is not going to go away because like Jared Allen is going to be there for a while. D'Angelo Russell is going to be there for a while. These guys are getting pissed. Like I don't know what Jared Dudley's future is with the Nets or how long he's going to be there, but like there is some bad blood brewing between these two teams. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. I wish Philly could just have, like, an easy first-round series, because I feel like Miami was also really physical last year. And, like, there was also a lot of bad blood, but not to this extent. Like, I just right. want a Milwaukee-Detroit-type series for Philly next year. Like, I don't want to have to be this stressed in the first round. Cause well, that would require that Philly is a lot better than what they are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is true. Um, but, so, what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts about the whole Dudley... Simmons, Butler, Embiid, Allen, <laughs> everyone so, on the court, brouhaha. Right. So first of all, I actually don't think it was a flagrant. Yeah, I don't either. It, he clearly went for the ball. Right. Like, I mean, it wasn't malicious in any way. Yeah. I, I think it's like it's fair if you review it as a flagrant, but the conclusion should be it, it wasn't. Yeah, like, he didn't you know? hit his head at all. Right. Like, I think... They said after the game that there was, like, an excessive windup, which I just think is how Joel Embiid blocks shots. And Jared Allen kind of, like, jerked his head back, which when you saw it in real time, it looked bad. 
and I'm yes. sure that's why Jared Dudley reacted, especially because of the elbow in game two. The you know like there's just, just the history there with Embiid and Allen. But yeah, like watching our replay, it was a foul. I like I saw some people say it was a clean block. Like no, I mean he uses his body. It's a foul, but I don't think it's a flagrant. And I I think there's a chance they rescind it today. I think they should because clearly it wasn't. I mean, yeah, Allen had taken the ball like kind of away from his head. He, he, the ball was moving away from Embiid's arm. Mm-hmm. That just made Embiid extend his arm even further. Yeah, and then it just hit his face. Like, obviously, it was a foul. Like that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, clearly a foul. He had there was contact. Like that's fine, but it wasn't malicious. And you saw Embiid as well afterwards. Like. <laughs> Just standing there pointing, like the ball went out of Allen. Like I don't know what he was trying to argue there, but at no point was he trying to mean mug people. Like he was just, he he. There wasn't like the physical reaction of Embiid that would imply that it was in any way dirty as right. well. Right. Which I think should be taken into account as well because mostly when when players do make a malicious block attempt or or a foul, mm-hmm. like you can tell in their body language if they intended yeah. or not, right? Yeah. And Embiid was just dumbfounded by the whole thing. So, right. yeah. Um, I think what look it is what it is. The melee is what it it was is what it is. But there was a there was a a man a father with a small child sitting three rows to the right of where they all end up in the bench area. Uh huh. I think that is what Adam Silver is going to look at more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Because imagine if that brouhaha had ended up in the bench next to, you know. A six, seven-year-old kid. Right. So I think that's what the league office will be debating and talking about for the majority of today, and last night as well. Yeah. I, I, I mean, because honestly, if if that was if that had happened mid-court, no problem. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. technicals, maybe like you know, yeah, so some uh, some ejections, whatnot, maybe a one-game suspension for something. Mm-hmm. That's it. This, because it spilled into the crowd and was so close to a young child, uh, I could just see Silver trying to prove a point here and, and come out with something. Yeah, so that was my, my next question. It was, one, do you think Dudley and Butler deserve to be ejected from Game 4? If I think that? Did, did you think that Dudley yeah. and Butler both deserve to be ejected? Dudley for sure, mm-hmm. because he just came in that way that he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but Butler obviously responded yeah. and and shoved so so yeah I mean I don't have any problems with it really yeah I mean you could make the case that maybe it was a little bit too harsh to throw Butler out of there but he escalated the situation right so I'm not necessarily against it I I'm not when they were dealt out you know the the ejections I wasn't sitting there going well that's unfair I was like yeah. okay yeah that's makes sense that's fine like it proves a point and it it. It's the refs trying also to keep some sort of authoritarian line, right? Which yeah. I think is fair. Like they yeah. should have that. So, no problem with that. Yeah. But watching the we'll replay, see what happens. I was I immediately when I saw Butler come in with the elbow, I was like, he's gone. There's no yeah. question. I thought Dudley. I I thought both of them were very obviously gone. I did not have any problem with that. Like I was most aggrieved with the flagrant foul. Um, yeah, absolutely. That that was not a flagrant whatsoever, and I think you're right. It should be rescinded. Yeah. If it's not rescinded, there's a problem. Then there's well, a yeah. large problem in in terms of how you view a flagrant. And then over the course of summer, you know, the the NBA referees association should da- sit down with the NBA and talk about 
you know, what is a flagrant? How do we better constitute what a flagrant foul is and and wind-ups and all that? Because players will block shots differently. Like you said, right. like that's just the way Joel Embiid blocks shots. Like Joel Embiid is not a Bill Russell type. No. Who will who will swat the ball to a teammate? No, like if he if he has a chance, he'll swat the living crap out of that ball into the fifth row. Right, right, exactly. He's a showman, which is right. fine. Yeah, but I mean, also there's a problem with the flagrant if it stands because you get four flagrant fouls, you get a one game suspension in the playoffs, and now Joel Embiid has two of them through three games that he's played, which yeah. looms large, assuming Philly holds this three one lead, which is another. The game four was just so great because, like, also afterward, Joel Embiid trolled so hard. Like, the post game interview <laughs> yeah. where they, they asked him about Jared Dudley is like, first of all, he's a nobody. Like, <laughs> so good. And then he's like at the podium with Butler. Butler comes out and says, like, I'm just here so he doesn't say anything stupid, basically. Like, he's like, this guy's just a big troll. Um, and then, <laughs> and then he's, you know, they ask about. Like, what do you think about going into Game 5? He's, he's like, I, you know, we're going up 3-1. I don't want to be in a situation like the Warriors were in two years ago. And Butler just leaves. He's like, nope, I'm out. No way. I tr- yeah, I tried helping his ass. Yeah, oh yeah. my god, it was so good. Um, <laughs> Alright, this is a good time. Because I, I'm writing about Ben Simmons uh, for Monday. Because I think, you know, Embiid overshadowed him in Game 4. But he was the story in Games 2 and 3. So, that will be at... The uh, com. So, are you tired of clickbait, ads, pop-up videos, talking head hyperbole, big market bias, and data selling? Tired of soap operas, wild speculation, and unnamed sources? Tired of padding the stats of CEOs and shareholders while your favorite content creators get paid pennies for their work? At bballwriters.com, they are too. That's why they created the Basketball Writers. At bballwriters.com, they concentrate on just the game and everything else they love about it. NBA, WNBA, EuroLeague, Fantasy Basketball, The Draft, and many more corners of the Hoops universe they're soon to explore. All in one place on a blazingly fast, clean site that lets you choose which writer to directly support while still enjoying all the content from their whole team. Elevate the conversation, elevate the game. They'll see you at bballwriters.com, and don't forget to enter the code THENBAPOD for 10% off your annual, monthly, or daily subscription. That is THENBAPOD for 10% off. And you can you can find some Ben Simmons praise there on Monday, along with, with all of the playoff series are getting some good coverage there. So definitely right. uh, sign up. And Mort had part two of your draft matchmaker series go yep. up the other day, where I played NBA Draft Cupid. Yep, yeah. And I I DM'd you immediately and was mad because you didn't have you didn't go as far as the Sixers yet, and I want Ty Jerome. Yeah, I only went with the lottery. Yeah, yep. I respect it. I, I expect uh, more of it after the lottery <laughs> so I could get tied to on the Sixers. Definitely. So so let's just wrap up and beat real mm-hmm. quick. Without looking at the numbers, l- without looking at the minutes number specifically. Yeah. Joel Embiid is averaging 25.3 points, 13.7 <laughs> rebounds, yeah. four assists, one steal, and 3.7 blocks. And he's uh, averaging almost 11 free throw attempts per game. Yep. He's doing that in 25.6 minutes. (laughs) He's outrageous, man. That is absolutely ridiculous. He has 76 points in 77 minutes. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll even go further. He has 76 points, 41 rebounds, 12 assists, 11 blocks, and 32 free throw attempts in 77 minutes. 
I'm How tra- is that even doable? I'm trying to think. Has anyone had, in the first round, has anyone had a better game than Embiid did in Game 4? Mm. Maybe well, KD I'm, in the Game 3. The 38-pointer? Yeah. But, like, I don't, like Embiid was just so impactful defensively throughout that game. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, like, because they... Boban Marjanovic, to his credit, has been a big difference maker in this series for the first three games. The Nets finally figured him out in Game Four, and and then <laughs> another one of my favorite parts of this game was you know Greg Monroe plays so much in Game Three because Embiid's out, and he was just terrible. I mean, mm-hmm. like he did some okay things, but like more. More often than not, he was bad. He missed a lot of easy bunnies. He got roasted. Like, Karis LeVert, every time, was just trying to go ISO on him. Like, match up on him and then just destroy him. Um, and a lot of Sixers Twitter was like, how has Brett Brown not put Jonah Bolden in? Like, let's just try to get a different look. So, in game four, he does go to Jonah Bolden ahead of Greg Monroe. Jonah Bolden is a minus six in three minutes. That's just, that's probably all we're going to see out of Jonah Bolden. But, yeah. You know, that was the whole point is like Boban wasn't getting it done. Bolden wasn't getting it done. Monroe played a minute. <laughs> it was a minus two. Yeah, like they needed that out of Embiid. He played 32 minutes on a bad knee and finished with 31 points, 16 rebounds, seven assists, and six blocks. That's ridiculous. It yeah. was just. And like in the fourth quarter, I mean, look, like the Butler Dudley ejections, Jimmy Butler is objectively a better player than Jared Dudley. And it was it, it definitely hurt the Sixers to lose Jimmy Butler, but it also really hurt the Nets to lose Jared Dudley. Because Ed Davis was out yesterday. They've been that like backup small ball five lineup has actually been working somewhat effectively for the Nets. I mean Boban's just been too big. So like that's the problem when when Boban's going against the small ball fives, like He's getting offensive rebounds because he literally he doesn't have to leave the floor and he just like reaches his arms up and no one can do anything about it. But on the other end, they have finally figured out just attack him relentlessly on pick and rolls and he yeah. you know that was the weakness yesterday. So the Sixers really needed this type of performance out of Joel Embiid, especially after Butler got ejected because like Butler's been playing the backup point guard. I mean, Brett Brown has made after game one, Brett Brown made a few adjustments in the series that I think really have made a lot of difference with Butler as the backup point guard instead of TJ McConnell. Um, in game three, Ben Simmons was operating almost as like a traditional center in some of the sets. Like he was rolling more than he has, like setting screens and rolling more than he has in a lot. Of, I mean, most of the season, frankly. Um, and it was like a really eye-opening way, like a lot of, People on Sixers Twitter have been clamoring for him to do this for a long time. It's not like it's a revelation that Ben Simmons as a role man would be effective because that's what Jerry Dudley said. Like, he gets ahead of steam. It's really hard to stop him. But he was doing that in game three, and it made a world of difference. So, I mean, they're up 3-1. They're going, you know, two of the next three games are in Philly. I feel like they should get one of the next three. But I think the challenge for them moving forward, you know, looking ahead to a second round matchup with Toronto and it's been the challenge all year is how do we maximize Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons together can we get a plus games we got an a plus game from Joel Embiid yesterday 
Yeah. But Simmons, I mean, he had 15, 8, and 8. I'm not going to – no one's going to complain about that. You know, 7 and 12 from the field, like an efficient game. Um, but he was not as good as he was in game three. So can we get Simmons game three and Embiid game four together? No. That's – No. Yeah, that's the concern. Look, I, I mean, I'm banging this drum, and I have been for a while. I'm, You know, Sixers fans will get tired of me saying this, but Ben Simmons is not a guard. He is at his best when he's an interior player. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that doesn't mean he can't play on the perimeter because he's obviously a very gifted passer. But but this guy is should be a rim roller, playmaker, out of the pick and roll, not not necessarily the ball handler. Like this screener, the, the big man who can then facilitate. He could play a type of Nikola Jokic kind of way at the big positions. It's And, and Jimmy Butler... You know, I've been saying this ever since he got traded to Philly, that he's a great ball handler. I saw yeah. him for, for years in Chicago. Look, this is a guy who came out when Derrick Rose was still on the roster saying, you know what, I think, I think I'm think i a point guard. Mm-hmm. His ball handling ability and his assist rate, and especially his learn to, learn uh, low turnovers, that just is an equation that goes up in, in terms of him being an effective ball handler and able and capable player of handling the point guard position. I see no problem with actually trying to establish him as a lead ball handling and, and and have Simmons being the role man. I think it would benefit all to make that change. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. Brett Brown kind of painted himself into a corner because he went along with Ben Simmons' whole I want to be a point guard idea. And <laughs> Simmons seems to be still stuck on that. And now you as a coach who've encouraged that will suddenly go, well, maybe we need to change. Mm-hmm. That's a problem to me. I don't I don't know how receptive Simmons is to actually being looked at as primarily a, a big. I, I think he and, and, and Beach should, you know, their minutes should get staggered a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Embiid uh, is the starting center. And then when he's not on the floor, Simmons should play that position. Mm-hmm. I think 100% of their center minutes should go to those, t- those two guys. And, like, how do you adjust? Because then you're effectively telling a guy who fancies himself a point guard to become a center. Like, the, the that's the biggest switch you can even make. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in this this series would be the one to try it just because the Nets have also downsized so much. And, like, if they have Ed Davis or Jared Dudley playing center, I think Simmons could hold his own defensively there. Like, right. I think he would struggle potentially against a bigger guy like Marcus All or Brooklyn. Oh, I think you'd feast. I, he I think you'd feast. He's way too quick. I mean, I, I feel like it's also just kind of a waste of like. I think defensively, he's been very good the last couple of games. Like they put him on D'Angelo Russell, and D'Angelo mm-hmm. Russell has not been good in this series. And no, think, he's shooting forty nine and a half percent from the field. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is Ben Simmons. Like he's really just getting up in his airspace. So I. I almost think you don't want to waste him because he's not, like, a great shot blocker. I mean, he's, you know, he, he can come up with these, like, weak side recovery blocks, but he's not a dominant shot blocker. I, I don't hate the idea, at least until Boban gets played off the floor, of at least trying him in every series and seeing what he can do. And then when teams figure him out, then you you have something else. But, you know, there, there was some calls for, like, Mike Scott at the five lineups and, like, Mike Scott gets killed. There's that. That's not an option either. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a problem 
moving forward, not only this year, but looking ahead to the summer, is like Philly has five centers on the roster, and one of them, not even, I mean, Embiid is dependable when healthy, but he's got this knee tendonitis that isn't going to go away. And right. like all of the rest of them are very matchup dependent. Like, they need a guard. Yeah. Zaire Smith would be very nice if he were healthy right now. Yeah. Next year, I have I have pretty big expectations for Zaire Smith. I yeah. think next year he's going to solve a lot of Philly's problems. Yeah. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. But let's let's turn the page over uh, over to Brooklyn because you talked about Russell. Yes, he has not been great from an efficiency standpoint. I do think he's done somewhat well at at least running the offense. Mm-hmm. He's had a little bit too many turnovers, thirteen and four games. That's it's yeah, it's a little bit on the heavy side. It's still I I still feel that when he comes up of, of the court, like he has the trust of his teammates. He does make good reads. He is constantly a scoring threat. I mean, he is averaging 22 a game. Yeah. And there is this sense of urgency of trying to shut him down or at least prevent him from being a a high-caliber scorer, which is the greatest respect an opponent can give. Mm -hmm. But carries LeVert, man. So, you know, you and I have talked about LeVert a lot this year on this podcast. I had him as my MIP going into the season. Like... That's the guy Philly just has not figured out. They have no answer so for far. him. Yeah. Have, yeah, like when he and when they put a great defender on him, like he'll just spin his way, he'll dribble and spin and fake his way into something else. Mm-hmm. And Lavert is smart enough to realize that when there's a matchup on when he when when Philly puts someone on him and he doesn't really have the rhythm going, mm-hmm. like he won't necessarily just jack up a shot for the sake of being, you know, active. Like, he will actively sit out a play if he knows that I'm not going to be able to beat my matchup. Like, he's selective in the way that he he does things, and his IQ is off the charts. I I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if in Game 5, LeVert is actually going to take over the point guard responsibility Mm. and have Russell run a lot more off of screens and, like, as a traditional two. I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, because like then you're forcing Ben Simmons to run through screens and stick with him instead of having him be able to defend the point of attack, which in theory will make him expend more energy on defense and tire him out so he can't run the offenses efficiently. Like yeah. that would be, I think, to, to Kenny Atkinson's credit, I think he made some very smart adjustments in Game 4. I think moving Levert and Jared Dudley into the starting lineup in place of Damari Carroll and Kuruks was, that was smart, like, Kuruks didn't play yesterday, I don't think. No, he didn't. Yeah, no. Yeah, and, like, he just hasn't been giving them enough to justify 
him in the starting lineup, much less him playing at all. I mean, he, he yeah. you know, he's 4 of 12 in the series, 0 of 5 from 3. He's just not Pitch getting... age is, is his age is showing. Yeah, you know, 20 yeah, years old, sure. 20, 21. Like, he's... He's just not ready for this, and the the playoffs is just more physical. Yeah, and he just doesn't respond well to it. Yeah, and like Dudley, to his credit, has defended Ben Simmons very well. Like it's a smart matchup to get him into the starting lineup. Like, oh, read the stats, Brian, yeah. because you read them to me before we started recording. I I was flabbergasted. Come yeah. on, so bring this, it, bring the fire. This is from NBA.com. Their you know their matchup stats. Dudley has defended Ben Simmons for sixty one possessions. Ben Simmons in that time has six points on three of seven shooting, zero assists, and two turnovers. <laughs> I mean, look, that's this is what I'm talking about. That's ah, uh, that's just horrendous. Yeah, that's that's horrendous. Like, look, with all respect to Jared Dudley, with all respect, I mean, he's not some athletic beast. Like, no. he's an older, under the rim player. Like. That should be a free lunch for Ben Simmons, right? Yeah, I mean, Dudley, Dudley, like, a guy doesn't stay this long in the league without, like, you know, if you're LeBron James and you're super talented, you're going to stay forever. But, like, LeBron's also really smart, so that was a bad example. But Carmelo Anthony, <laughs> right. you yeah. know, Carmelo Anthony stays in the league because he's super talented, he could score 20 a game. Jared Dudley does not have the talent of Carmelo Anthony or someone like that. What Jared Dudley is good at it's much like what Shane Battier back in the day. Like, he's just mm-hmm. really effing smart. And he knows his opponent's tendencies and weaknesses. And again, like, going back to that quote, he said he's, like, average in the half court. Or, or you know, later on, he's like, we know the math. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, if you're in a bad way, foul him. Make him make free throws. See, Ben Simmons is not a good free throw shooter. They went to hack a Ben in game three. Like, Dudley knows all of this. And can process this in real time. So, right, moving him into the starting lineup, making him back up his words, basically, was a good adjustment from Atkinson. And they really, I mean, mm-hmm. they came very close to winning that game. It was really, you know, they were up a point in the last minute. And then uh, Mike Scott hits a three and, you know, the whole Jared Allen thing on the other end, they arguably should have had game-tying free throws. Yeah, that, that melee... Could have ruined the entire season for Brooklyn, really. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Butler is very important to Philly, obviously. But Dudley mm. has been very important to Brooklyn in this series in particular. Like, that was a very costly loss. And we'll see what happens. I don't know if these guys are going to get suspended for Game 5 and beyond. I kind of hope not. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you already marred Game 4. Like, let's not... Right, it, you know, let's not carry this over. But again, that comes down to how Adam Silver and the NBA office decides to view it. Yeah, based on you know the fans, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be really interesting. I mean, also Joe Harris has not been doing was, anything. Yeah, I was just about to mention him. Thirty yeah. minutes a game, eight, eight. You know, just under nine points, but shooting. Under nineteen percent on threes. Yeah, and this is this is the three point champion, right? right? He shot like forty seven percent from three yeah. in the season. Like he, he just can't cut loose for some reason. And then you have Rondé Hollis Jefferson as well, oh, who's getting to the line at just a ridiculous rate. Like he's yeah. averaging almost eight free throw attempts, and he's playing less than sixteen minutes, which is just absurd. Yeah, but he can't make a shot to save his life. Right. So there's a lot of that going around. 
in Brooklyn. Like Demari Carroll as well is seven for thirty-one this series. Yeah, you know, it's just not efficient basketball they're playing right now in terms of shooting the ball. Yeah, so they need to do something else for Game Five, whatever it is. Like just muck it up, uh, change some sets. They need to do something. I think they really should just put the ball in the hands of Lavert and Dinwiddie. Yeah, like those guys have been the ones who are like. This was going into the series. This is what I was afraid of: was Russell Levert Dinwiddie. Philly doesn't have the guards. But if you're trying to beat Philly with forwards, you're not going to do it. Because right. Butler and Simmons are, I mean, that's their strength. Or if you're trying to beat them at the rim, not not when Embiid's around. But if you try to beat them with guys who can break you off off the dribble, like a Levert and Dinwiddie, then we're in a little bit of trouble. And those two guys, I would say, those two guys have been Brooklyn's best two players this series. I wonder if they should make a different starting lineup for Game 5 where they have Dinwiddie in the point, Russell at the 2, and Levert at the 3 and just have multiple ball handling, playmaking, and just hope that they get off to a hot start and then kind of just coast from there. Yeah, I, th- I think you want to keep at least one of those guys off the bench just so you've got Well, that. you can still stagger them even yeah. though you start them. Yeah, and bench Joe Harris. Yeah... I mean, that's, I don't like it. I mean, yeah. that's because that's not a vote of confidence on Joe's behalf, yeah. which isn't great. But at the same time, you know, you still you have a series to win, and no, I I don't know. It, it depends on what you think about Harris. Like, if Kenny Atkinson likes the looks and likes the way he moves, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of making a shot or not, then obviously that plays a part. And 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 to Harris's credit, like, is he hasn't looked flustered. No, it's not like no. he's looked bad. I mean, the ball just hasn't gone down. How many rim outs has he had this series? Yeah, a lot I feel of them, like at least four. A lot of them have been like good open looks, just unlucky. Right. Yeah. So maybe that he maybe that vote of confidence is still there. Maybe Atkins is like, you know what? I'm gonna play the percentages. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna shoot 19 percent for the rest of the series. <laughs> right. So yeah, I don't know, but I'm just saying a, a three headed monster of Russell Levert and Dinwiddie would definitely throw a wrench into Philly's defense right off the bat. Yeah. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance let's say you just bought a house bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents you'll proudly mow the lawn ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn tell people to stay off the lawn compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through progressive and save on your car insurance which of course will go right into the lawn Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Well, speaking of votes of confidence, I think that's a good good place to transition into Denver, San Antonio, which is the other one we're going to go deep on today. Just because, again, it's the only other only other competitive first round series. Um, so you're saying we shouldn't talk about Toronto and and we'll say <laughs> we'll say roughly five words about the other five series each. Um, so Denver, San Antonio. The Spurs take Game 3 at home somewhat resoundingly. They get out to a big lead in Game 4 as well. 
Then Denver comes roaring back and has now evened the series at two games apiece, taking home court advantage back. Um, you know, Mike Malone, the Nuggets head coach, has been talking a lot about how his young guys need playoff experience, and he, he's been sticking by Jamal Murray, who, again, in game four had a good game. But he did make one change to the starting lineup, moves Torrey Craig in starting lineup in place of Will Barton. Torrey Craig comes in, has a big game, 18 points, 8 rebounds, 5 of 7 from 3. And really, it, it just helps change the defensive matchups. So Jamal Murray doesn't have to be on Derek White. And Derek White, after a 36-point performance in Game 3, has 8 points on 3 of 8 shooting in Game 4. He was outstanding in Game 3. Oh just my outstanding. God. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like ready... I, I swear, I could have sworn that, like, when he got drafted, I might have done this for Murray instead of White, but, like, I thought when he got drafted, I tweeted something like, oh, great, this is, like, you knew just right when it happened, like, yep, this is this is another, like, number 29 pick, and he's going to turn into an MVP, because it's San Antonio, and then, like, two years later, he's putting up 36 in a playoff game. He, well, I mean, that reminds me. Because who is it that you want for the Sixers this draft? Ty Jerome. Well, oh, the, sorry, the Washington guard. Oh, oh yeah, Ty Bull. Metsy's Ty Bull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could you not? Could you just envision him in San Antonio? I mean, like they're gonna be. I don't care what happens for the rest of this series. The backcourt next year of White and Murray is going yeah. to be outrageous. Like you're never and going Lonnie to. And Walker. Yeah. Oh my God! You're never gonna score against them. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I thought Game Four was a very gutsy performance from the Nuggets because if they go down three one, the series is over. The Game Four was a coming of age movie. Yeah. For Denver, I feel. Look, I mean, they. Uh, so so let's just clarify one thing: the Spurs. They had a lot of issues in Game 4 on their yeah. own accord. Yep. I'll just read something here, which is... <laughs> it's, it's you, cannot, you almost cannot comprehend it. So, the Spurs made a jumper. I think it was a Bryn oh, Forbes yeah, yeah, 3. Yeah. 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 With 4.55 left in the first quarter. Yep. And then until garbage time, they didn't make a single shot. Or single, sorry, single jumper. jumper. And I'm not yeah. talking about like a single three-point jumper. I'm talking about a jump shot. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Like all their field goals were at the rim or inside inside the paint. Right. That's a problem. Like that we've <laughs> talked about this at length before, and I understand that Spurs fans are like, you know what? You don't need to be Golden State or Houston to win. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But you do have to make jump shots. You do have like spacing is not a false concept. Like yeah. it's. It's essential, especially in the playoff setting. And when you're not making jump shots, you open the door for your opponent to get through. And Denver realized that. And that's this is where I give credit to Denver. They seized that. They they noticed that they had a chance, and they just punched. They just punched. Mm-hmm. They started to work their game, especially in the third quarter. They realized, okay, we, we've been relying too much on jump shots. We've been re- relying on you know doing something a certain way. So they started getting to the rim. As a result, the defense started to collapse around them, which opened up the perimeter, so they played an inside-outside game. Mm-hmm. And then they went into this flow that they have a tendency to be in where they are just dominating inside, outside, mid-range. Where, and I'm, look, I'm going to say something, it's going to sound horrible, but 
they actually have this thing where they can play like Golden State, where they're just Ooh. not turning down open shots, where yeah. they will take a mid-range if they feel it's a high percentage shot. Like, that's the difference to me always when it comes to Golden State and Houston, for example. Like, Houston is just dead set. <laughs> Analytics ball. Mori yeah. ball. Yeah. Like, no mid-rangers. And then when they meet Golden State, they get, you know, usually they get burned. Right. Because Golden State will actually acknowledge, hey, you know what? I We have a wide open 17-foot jump shot. And Kevin Durant is the one taking it. Yeah. So even though the league, stati- the league average statistics imply that's a bad shot, for Kevin Durant specifically or Steph Curry specifically, or Clay Thompson specifically, that's not a bad shot. We'll mm-hmm. take that. And Denver seems to be playing very similar to that mindset. They will not turn down open shots. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for San Antonio, that's just been their thing the whole season. And they've been able to hit those mid-range shots pretty well. Like, they've right. hit a lot of difficult contested shots to the first three games of the series and that's how they got out to a 2-1 lead but those shots were not falling as much on Sunday and you're right like Denver I think that was the most complete offensive game Denver has played in the playoffs so far oh yeah for sure for sure and they learned a lot of themselves I feel like yeah this one like this was a gut check time yeah and and they just came through by the way Denver this series in four games, 112 three-point field goal attempts. Oof. San Antonio, 68. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do want to say this because I, I know there I've seen some, like, clamoring for, like, San Antonio led the league at three-point percentage. Why aren't they taking more threes? And I get it, but I yep. think they led the league in three-point percentage in part because they were so selective. Like, right. there's a difference... They don't have a Damian Lillard who can pull up from 30 feet and hit a three and that not be a terrible shot. You know, like, right? They their personnel is such that they are back in, like, 10 years ago basketball where, like, those pull-up threes in transition aren't good shots. Like, they are much better off playing to their strengths, which is fine. And I don't want to say they have a math problem on their hand because Denver is so much more willing to hit those or pull up for those threes because, you know, they, Denver has not been hitting a lot of those in the first couple games. Like, right. That was that was what San Antonio was conceding. It's just that they, you know, they hit 15 in game four. And that that will change a series when San Antonio hits five. Like, that's a 30-point swing in a 14-point game. It's just math at this point. And I and, and look, I understand that LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan have specific skill sets that are still very much valuable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, DeRozan is still tremendous is at in transition. He's a tremendous passer as well in the half court. He will get to the free throw line a ton. Mm-hmm. He will challenge opponents at the rim. He'll draw fouls. He'll do a ton of wonderful stuff. But you know what you're going to get. You know exactly where on the court he's going to try to establish himself. Yeah. That just makes it easier. I, I look. I don't care how good you are at something. If you know where shots are coming from, it does increase your likelihood of defending it better. Mm-hmm. It just does. That, that's that's the thing. By the way, I will point out Patty Mills, one of five from downtown over four games in seventy-seven mm-hmm. minutes. Like Patty is supposed to be one of their primary shot makers from the outside. Yeah. He's a guy who's at least got the capability of hitting multiple threes every single night 
five three point field goal attempts in seventy seven minutes. Yeah, it's not great. Um, it, they need to seek them out at a higher rate, and I get that that's falling back into the trap of you know that Spurs fans hate that. Sure. Oh, let's stop talking about the three pointer. Sorry, can't. That's it is a crucial element to basketball nowadays. Yeah. I mean, especially with Denver so willing to chuck from deep, but it did, right. you know, it did get them to a two-one lead. Um, it's just like Denver. I, I do think that the change of the starting lineup was really smart because I think just Torrey Craig, he hit a bunch of shots. I mean, you know, he hit five or seven from deep, six nine overall. But like, Will Barton is a more high usage player than Torrey Craig, and breaking right. that up a little bit and putting him alongside Monte Morris and Malik Beasley off the bench, I think just gives you a little bit more offensive balance. Yes. On, like, between your lineups, which... And, like, maybe Will Barton... I don't know how he feels about that. Like, I don't know if, like, Mike Malone came to him or, like, if he came to Mike Malone and was like, look, coach, I don't care about starting or coming off the bench. Like, whatever's best for the team. I'm going to hope it's the latter because otherwise, like, maybe he doesn't take kindly to that and maybe he wants to be a starting small forward and, like, that matters to him but they made a difference and i think i would not be surprised to see tory craig in the starting lineup for the rest of the series right and barton played well as you said off the bench like yeah. this was what was needed and and honestly maybe you can actually afford one of those games and then change it back afterwards if a player just finds the right mojo mm. i i agree with you though like i would like to have tory craig at least continue for the next game yeah i don't think he'll respond with another 18 no. and 8 game no. but his defense while at times a little bit unshaky in the first half mm-hmm. really came to life in the second half yeah. while he was hitting threes and and maybe that was just a growing confidence of him in him. Like he's just played so many minutes by the time of that game where he just went, Oh, I'm comfortable now. Yeah. I can I can allow myself to take these pull up threes or spot up threes in transition and, and whatnot. Uh Jamal Murray, man, and and Nikola Jokic, those two guys, I mean I, when you look at the stat lines, well for for Jokic it's impressive, like twenty and a half points, yeah. almost twelve rebounds and, and nine assists. Mm-hmm. Obviously he's a beast. Jamal's stat line doesn't do, do him justice. Like he's seventeen point eight points, only one point eight boards, and three assists. Mm-hmm. That's not something to write home about. But his influence on the game, off of his shot making and unpredictability, is is really what drives Denver a lot. Yeah. Because you look at how San Antonio just consistently rushes out to him if he's on outside the three point line, mm-hmm. and he's becoming a good enough ball handler right now to to actually make that little. That little quick fake and then use his ball handling capabilities if a, if a player bites on that fake to go into the paint and maneuver his way into a bucket or an assist, you know, just opening up the court. I really like that pairing. Those yeah. two are are tremendous together. And Gary Harris is like he's had a he's had a rough year with injuries, yeah. yep. and he seems to be getting back to it a little bit, albeit a little bit slower. But next year that trio, yeah. Oh, I'm there for it. Yeah. I'm all the way there for it. Yeah, it's like it's important to remember that these guys for Denver are still so young. Like this is whatever happens in this series, this is great experience for them to build off of, and I am terrified of them long term. And there's a guy named Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, right. that'll join them next year. Right, exactly. Um, what do you expect from this series moving forward? I expect a seven gamer. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm also hoping for it a little bit because I think that would be the best test 
for Denver moving forward as well. I agree. And, I mean, if Portland uh, Portland OKC is going to go long, we should have Denver San Antonio go long. We'll, yeah. we'll hit the other series in a second. I don't care. They, they could all be four games. I don't care. Let's let's save our bullets for the second round for everyone else. But, yeah, these, these two, I think, are the most fun and competitive moving forward. Right. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Uh, okay, let's hit the other five series quickly because, look, all, Very quickly. <laughs> all of these series are effectively over. I think it's fair yeah. to say. Um, let's start with Milwaukee-Detroit. Blake Griffin came back for game three. It made, I don't want to say it made no difference because he was good, but he was. They still lost by sixteen. But he made no difference. Right, they still lost by sixteen. Yeah, he made no difference. I, I look, I'm sorry, that's harsh, but it's also true. I don't understand why they rushed it back or he why he rushed back. Like I, I what? Mean, I, I get it if he like really just wanted to give his team a boost and like felt crappy about not being able to play in the series, but like, okay, you weren't. I mean, I think you're you're saying like you're not beating Milwaukee either way, so why are you right. risking your long term health? And I agree with that. I mean, it's it sucks, but like Milwaukee's just better than you, no matter what happened. Like yeah. Giannis didn't do much in this game. He had 14 points and 10 rebounds in 28 minutes, and they still won by 16. Do you think Blake Griffin would have returned had he been in a free agent this summer? No. Yeah. No way. Neither do I. I think that's maybe the security of the long term one hundred and seventy five million dollar contract. Speaking right. a little bit, you know, which is just, nice. Good, yeah, get, get paid, but yeah, don't. It's dumb. It was just. It was a dumb. Decision. Detroit should have said no. They they should have yeah. seen how the first two games went. I hope he doesn't play in game four. Yeah, like he gave it nice. You know, he he gave it. He made a playoff appearance yeah. in front of the home crowd. Right. That's fine. He played well. Like, yeah. what, what did he end up with? 27? Like 7 and 6, I think. Yeah, that's very that's very well. Yeah. I mean, that's very good. And, and But it just made no difference. Yeah, the series is over. Don't don't, yeah. don't risk your long-term health to lose in Game 4. Just Agreed. Dumb. Uh, Toronto, Orlando. Kawhi did not have a good game in Game 3. Pascal Siakam had a monster game. Just an absolute... I, I mean... That's what makes Toronto so scary this year. Is before it was like in years past, it was if Kyle and Damari didn't have good games, oh, we're in trouble. Pascal right. Siakam had 31 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. They win 98 93, steal home court advantage back. I know this one on paper isn't over because like they won by five, but I also don't think Kawhi Leonard's going 5 and 19 from the field again at right. any point. So I feel like yeah. this one's probably over. It is over. So here's the thing. When the trade was made uh, last summer, mm-hmm. the Kawhi DeMar trade, mm-hmm. you and I agreed immediately 
that not only was this great for Toronto in in the case that they would make like a deep playoff run, but even if Kawhi left this summer, mm-hmm. like that would allow them just to rebuild. Like they could move Kyle Lowry and they could just start fresh, right? Yeah. Pascal Siakam kind of puts them in a little bit bind there it's because true. he's too good yeah. for them to really bottom out. Yeah, that's true. And Mike Prada of SB Nation made a great point yep. on Twitter. Yep. Um, by basically saying he didn't, he doesn't understand why Kawhi would ever want to leave yeah. <laughs> when you have Pascal Siakam yeah. next to him. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Pascal Siakam is probably the guy that every major superstar should want to play for. Yeah. He's proven himself to be offensive capable enough to be a shooter and a slasher and a creator. So there is a reliance on him offensively that you can have Instead of being, you know, Draymond, to be honest with you, who you know, can't really go out and get you 20 when you need to. Or in this case, 31. <laughs> right, right. Like, Siakam is a viable offensive option. But at the same time, he's not a selfish offensive option. Like, yeah. he is a playmaker first and foremost. He's a defender. He's a rebounder. And it's just a matter of how the game play out plays out that he'll you know assert himself offensively if this is this was a bad game for for Kawhi and Pascal was like oh okay then i need to step up right. i need to make shot i need to be aggressive i need to be assertive and he was but like in game you know what was this was this game this is 3 or 4 yeah game 3 it was game 3 so game 4 is coming up yep Assuming Kawhi is like, you know, back to Kawhi standards, you know, scoring 32, 35 points, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be one bit surprised if Siakam ends up with like 11 points and then, you know, 10 rebounds. Yeah. It's, and and he would be fine with it. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. He is, he's all team motivated and team oriented. I love him. I absolutely love him. It's just what he's been doing all, all year. Whatever Kyle or Kawhi sat out, he had a monster game. And if not, he's a fine, yeah, you're right. He's like fine taking a backseat to those two guys, which is again, it's like what makes them dangerous. They have what you know, we were talking about Portland and OKC earlier, how you need that third guy. Pascal Siakam's that third guy. You can count on him yep. to erupt if your two stars aren't having a good game. So that's I'm really Toronto Philly and then Milwaukee Boston and the second round is just gonna be an absolute treat. Right. Like the second round is Thankfully, shaping up to be as good as we expected. Um, Boston, Indiana, they're up 3-0. It, it's just... I don't want to talk about it. It's too depressing. Not, not yeah. because of the result, but just the way the teams have played. Yeah. I don't it's think just, it's been impressive basketball. They don't. The Pacers don't. They can't score without Victor Oladipo. It's, yeah. It sucks. Like, they just don't have that go-to guy. Jason Tatum been playing well. Kyrie Irving been Jay playing Brown well. Jalen Brown had a great game. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... but uh, I mean, this is where I'm. I'm just eating crow because I was yeah. like, "Hey, you know what? Yeah. Indiana, Indiana could, yeah, because they don't have chemistry issues." Well, you know what, Mort from two weeks ago, f you, man. <laughs> they also don't have a leading scorer. Or, like, yeah, it, it it sucks. They just don't. You know, these they have a great defense. They've held Boston. The hundred and four is the high they've scored in three games. Like right. they held Boston under a hundred in two of the three games. They. You should be able to win those games. Like, if Oladipo were healthy, this would be 2-1 or 3-0 Indiana. But if Oladipo were healthy, this would also be a Boston-Philly series because Indiana would have been the three seed. 
I think we have a tendency still, and we everyone falls into that trap. My, you know, I did it this year with with Indiana and and Boston, but I've seen like the sentiment being shared when in the regular season a team comes together and just wins off of grit, yeah, and togetherness and all that. Yeah, we tend to put so much romantic stock in that going into the playoffs that we're like, you know, we they can they can do it. Go win from one for the Gipper kind of mentality, right? right? It's BS. I, to my credit, I did not follow the bad trap. No, no, you, you didn't. You didn't. No, no, yeah. no, no. You, you, not that, not this one at least. Right. I mean, I don't know if you have in the past with other teams where I don't know, but like yeah. it's it's something that we we as a community tend to do. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, in the playoffs, it's about talent. Yeah. You just need like you need a go-to guy, and Boston has yep. two of them at least, and Tatum and Kyrie, and Indiana does not have any. Without Oladipo. Oh, are you saying that Tyreek Evans and Bojan Bogdanovic are not go-to guys? Like it's, and I'm saying that loving Bogdanovic, by the way. I know it's like, with all due respect to those guys, they're great role players. But and as you said, like Miles Turner, you would have hoped would become yeah. that in Oladipo's absence. But Al Horford is also just very perplexing to deal with for opposing young big men. So I'm out on Miles Turner. <laughs> I'm out. I, I'm I am I I am officially out and as I look he is going to remain a good defender yeah he's going to be a start he he is and will be a starting caliber player mm-hmm. that's fine I have no confidence he'll ever become that unicorn type player that everyone seems to be talking about I don't I know that he's young but he's had so many opportunities the, your leading scorer is out for the rest of the year yeah you've had months months to assert yourself if you wanted to. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing preventing you from taking it. Like, there's a gapping hole of responsibility on this team, you know, offensive responsibility. It's right there for the pickings. Yeah. Everyone's looking at you, and the way that you go about it is, well, I'm just going to play like I always do, just <laughs> take open shots, and I'm just going to act like Victor Oladipo is on the floor with me in spirit. No. No. Like, that's that's not good enough. That is just not going to... I'm out on the Miles Turner experience. Like, he needs to go somewhere where he will ultimately be, like, the fourth or primarily, or, you know, optimally the fifth option. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be that second guy. Wow. He's never going to be that guy. I don't think he is. I'm out. Wow. I uh, I am not out on him. I'm out on him as... I don't think he ever reaches the level of an Embiid or a Jokic or even a Porzingis in terms of offensive uh, impact. But, I, you know, I still think he's a good two-way player. I just... No, yeah. Defensively, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to become a 25-point-per-game scorer anytime soon. I just don't think he has no. that type of mentality. I agree with that. that that's the thing. I'm, I think it's... Then you can turn around and say, well, it comes down to expectations. But this man was also very high on himself coming in mm-hmm. and and had very, you know, high hopes for his own future and that's fine. He signed for what 72 million I think it was. Uh I think 80 80 or 84, right? Oh, was it that much? I think so. Okay. All right. I'm just looking. Well, okay, on basketball references actually says 72, at least 18, 18, 18 and 18, but oh, you know, there okay. might be incentives. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I mean there it's incentives can always, you know, climb up, but I, I just think there's a level of responsibility. You know, you're you you're missing your superstar. You are a fourth year player. You're tremendously gifted because let's let's be honest, like Miles Turner does not lack talent. 
mm-hmm. or gifts. Like he can shoot, he can hit free throws, he can rebound, he can block shots. He's actually even a pretty good passer when it comes down to it. Like he can do a bunch of stuff. He just doesn't. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He's averaging eight point seven points in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. It's not great. On thirty nine percent shooting, he's taking seven. Point seven shot attempts per game. Yeah, that's definitely not great. Um, Golden State Clippers. So I'm gonna Katie. say it's safe to say that Katie. Patrick that's Beverly cannot defend Kevin Durant. I think he can affect him in periods. Yeah. And that's it. He can like frustrate him, but like yeah, you know, Katie. Much like Ben Simmons, Jared Dudley, Katie was like, you know who I am, right? Like yeah. Like, yeah, sure, he can, like, annoy me a little bit, but, like, I'm 10 inches taller than him, and I could pull up over him anytime I want. And I was just not doing that because I wanted to, like, get in the flow of the offense. I didn't want to just hero ball like I did in OKC at times. Game three, he just was like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to annihilate you, Patrick Beverly. And yeah. that's it. That's all, she, that's all she wrote for this series. The Clippers, well, I, like, to their credit, they, like, Stealing game two was really impressive. They are set yep. up really, really well heading into free agency. We'll have a good bye, Felicia, for them. It's over. It is. And and again, this just proves my point. Great offense beats great defense yeah. every single time. When you are a transcendent talent like Katie, like, what can you do? Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Literally you nothing. Yeah. And that's, this is what this series comes down to. And I'm just for Golden State for Golden State's sake, I kind of hope that they just turn this series over to one guy, so the rest of the team is like fresh for, you know, Houston yeah. round two. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Houston, uh, James Harden starts 0 of 15 from the field in Game Three, and that's they, not great. And they still win. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. Again, this one will have a good bye, Felicia, for the Jazz in a few days. But this one just comes down to they don't have anyone they can count on outside of Donnie Mitchell. And Donnie Mitchell, it's just tough for him because of that. Because he's the only one. Yeah. So Jazz Twitter. Oh, boy. No, but let's let's talk about it. Jazz Twitter seems to be doing everything they can, throwing around numbers and whatnot to kind of avoid the obvious problem there is on that team right like they're talking about the defense they're talking about like playmaking look man it's don't overthink this yeah like don't you just don't have enough offensive talent you have one guy who can create for for himself consistently right like don't overthink this yeah this is like someone going into the like the galaxy brain mentality and <laughs> saying you know what jared culver might be a better selection than zion williams than right one. right like don't just don't Oh, you yeah. need scoring. That's it. There was like the the stat was like their expected field goal percentage was sixteen percentage points yeah. higher than their actual. I mean, yeah, but they like they don't have. Yeah. you're right. They just don't have a guy. They have Donovan Mitchell. That's and it. then they have a bunch of guys who can get loose at times in their specific roles, but that can't create offense for themselves all that well. Like right. Joe Ingles is a great player. Joe Ingles should be in their long-term plans because he yep. can he can be that secondary playmaker but you don't want Not Joe a Ingles, secondary score. Yeah, you don't want him creating offense for himself in a playoff series and like as a result, 
Donovan Mitchell is shooting 33% overall and 30% from three. And, like, you know, last episode I said I don't want this to become a referendum on Rudy Gobert's Defensive Player of the Year candidacy because this is just a really crappy matchup for him. Same thing with Mitchell. Like, I don't want this to turn into, like, oh, Donovan Mitchell's a bust. He's overrated. Whatever. Donovan Mitchell is going to be a star in this league. It's just, like, he he needs to have one other guy. Like, we were saying, you know, at least Dave has CJ. At least Russ has... Paul George? Who does Donovan Mitchell have? Ricky Rubio? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's just... Ugh, it's so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. It, they they desperately need a wing, right? Like a legitimate 3-4 yeah. wing who can handle the ball. Well, can you imagine That's what they need. if they had swung... Like, they're rumored to be interested in both Nico and Mike Conley heading into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if they had either one of those guys right now. I've been so high on the idea of Nico going to Utah for so long, but he's... I mean, he's in Milwaukee now, so why would he want that? Yeah, right. Well, because, I mean, they're going to have... They have just everyone is a free agent. They have some tough decisions That's to make true. financially. Um, well, I think Nico is one of those guys they're going to make a priority to keep because he's just such a volatile shooter. And oh. I think you need to have that, See, I, to be honest. I feel like he's going to be the lowest priority of anyone. Because uh, I got, don't think so, man. you got Chris Middleton, you have Brooke Lopez. I think both of them need to be higher priorities. Well, I don't, no, I, I don't necessarily agree. Because, well, well, obviously Middleton, but and I get that Brook is, is has been fantastic both as a shot blocker and all that. But Nico coming in is is this very very rare mix of where you know he's got tremendous statistical production, but his talent is actually better than that. He's just always been in a system where he's kind of acknowledged himself as a part of it, which is you know very unselfish on his part. But he is so much better than the numbers indicate. Like he, he is a guy who can come in and average 20 if he wanted to. Obviously, in Milwaukee, that's not going to present itself as, a, as, a, as, a, as an option. But having a guy like that on a team that is financially going to be you know, deep in, in luxury tax territory eventually, mm-hmm. you will need a guy who can outperform what his statistical productions otherwise indicate. Do you think they would prioritize him over Brooke Lopez, though? Maybe because of age. I th- I do feel like age-wise, he fits better with Giannis long-term. Mm-hmm. But I get that, you know, I don't think necessarily they'll sacrifice him. I think they'll do whatever they can to bring Just everyone back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they I should. Th- why not? They, yeah. they absolutely should, but... I don't know. I feel right. like if one guy is likely to leave, it's, it's Nico just because... Well, I mean... So this isn't. I have. I haven't heard this straight from the horse's mouth, um, but I have heard that Nico is very much enjoying his Milwaukee stay. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, why wouldn't? So he? I mean, the team's yeah, great. Yeah, like, yeah. If he takes a discount, absolutely. But that's kind of where I'm going with. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll again. We'll have a good bye, Felicia, for Utah in a couple days. But otherwise, yeah. sorry. This like. Y'all are a great team, and had you not drawn the Rockets, you could have been in the second round, but this is just a horrendous matchup, and that sucks. But hopefully it opens the front office's eyes a little bit and makes them realize, like, oh, we actually do need someone else aside from Donnie. Didn't you say that last year as well, though? Not as much, because they at least, I mean, Donnie was a rookie. They made they made it to the second round last year. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but, but about opening the eyes of the front office because even back then we were talking about how they didn't have anyone else yeah yeah well now they i didn't mean, falling short of what they did last year with donnie ah, okay. a year older and all that stuff and like you know they've got a couple yeah. of 
decisions to make with Rubio's a free agent, Derek Favors, I believe, is a non-guaranteed contract. Yeah. They can, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. They can get out a lot this year. I, I really wonder if it would be best for Utah just to hang on to three guys and then go forward. Like Donnie, Gobert, and Joe Ingles. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Well, they have Exum and Crowder signed for another year. They, you know, right, they but they guys. but they're tradable. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least Crowder is. I don't know about Exum and his after his injury. Right. Yeah, but they're going to yeah. face some tough decisions this summer. Right. All right. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, enjoy the rest of the first round, everyone. Uh, we'll we'll have some bye Felicia's soon, unfortunately, for a few of these teams. In the meantime, uh, follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter, at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Taporic, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. Thank you, Brian. You too. Next time we'll talk, it will be post-Endgame. Ooh, there we go. Not for me. I'm, I'm going next Saturday, so... Oh, so I'll have to extort you in the means, or not, not? I'll just have to basically force you to pay me a ton of money not to spoil the movie for you in the middle of the of a podcast. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> By the way, I did we mention last time around? I think we did the, the spoiler warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, did. we did. Yeah, okay, yep. good, good, good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because so far, I'm I've been successful, Brian. I have I have gotten into the media lockdown mode and it's worked so far just don't go on twitter for a week your your life will be infinitely better already (laughs) (laughs) this is true can confirm yeah all right take it easy man you too man Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.